Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcast man, and I am joined as ever by my sumptuous host, co-host, my <laughs> sumptuous co-host, <laughs> by my sumptuous and flavourful co-host. I want this all to stay in. Um, yes, Sam Ashurst, uh, as, as it happens, um, <laughs> and I am the director of the first film to bring theatre and cinema together, Frankenstein's Creature, which is playing... <laughs> I genuinely thought you were going to say to an end, <laughs> and, the, and the first film to just just end cinema. We're done with cinema now. I mean, go back to theatre. The, We've be all honest, seen the results. To be honest, there isn't much point in watching anything after Frankenstein's Creature. It is the ultimate in uh, cinematic perfection, <laughs> um, and it is playing at the Arrow Video Fright Fest uh, on the twenty seventh of August at three forty five pm in the Cineworld Discovery Screen. Oh, now that was li- I just like dear listener yeah. Sam did not look at a note. <laughs> That was right off the top of his fucking head. It was, it was. Um, I'm swearing a lot. I'm going to dial that back a bit. I've been it's, very, it's, it's fine. Sorry. But we're not. We've, we've spent all day together for the first time in a long time. So <laughs> I've over... just got extra, extra sweary. Yeah, we're, we're a bit happens. overexcited, dear listener. But um, one of the reasons we're so excited is we're here to talk about the endless sort of because uh, it's a different kind of episode this yeah. week. It's kind of like the Blood Rage episode where um, basically. I wasn't included in the fun bit. So I'm going to step aside. So and I had work to do. I had bloody work to do. So uh, I'm going to step aside and hand over to Dan, who's going to tell you exactly what to expect from the next sort of half an hour, 40 minutes or so. It's less than 40 minutes. Mm. The bit at the end? So Oh, the 40 minutes? Well, no, but well, you'll be uh, back. The next 30 minutes without you. Correct. And then you're back. Exactly. Oh, and, right, that's, and that's what they need to know. Good. Right. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome. We've finally lived up to our promise to be professional. <laughs> we definitely talked this through before we got here. Hooray. <laughs> so, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson were shipped over to the UK uh, and have done a crazy number of dates uh, from London to Sheffield, back down to London again. They've been doing signings, screenings all to promote their new film, The Endless. They uh, did. Uh, they, they first came onto the scene with their movie Resolution, uh, their second film, Spring. Uh, Endless is their third feature. Arrow have picked it up for release. Arrow have managed to license uh, Resolution, their first film, which exists in the same world, although Endless is not uh, a sequel in any way and can be watched as a standalone film. That said, you don't have to make that choice because the special edition of Endless does come uh, with resolution as a separate disc extra feature with three audio commentaries and a bunch of deleted scenes that are so special they weren't even actually shot as part of the main film. Aaron uh, and Justin went back and shot them at the location of the original movie just so that you could see them. Also, they're super taking the piss with those. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so I, as as one of many, uh, got to go along as an emissary of Arrow um, and talk to them about their film. Now, the thing is, these guys are very, very uh, switched on as far as social media goes. Uh, They'd just done uh, Reddit AMA when I went to go and speak to them. uh, And they had also, they've done dozens and dozens of interviews. Uh, They're very uh, convivial and uh, and easy to talk to. uh, And so they're 
you get a lot of interviews from them floating around. So they've talked a lot about the film. So the two things I wanted to do was, A, to make sure that I wasn't just asking them the same old questions, uh, and B, to make sure that I wasn't uh, accidentally getting them to repeat stuff they were saying on the special features on the Arrow disc. So I uh, absorbed, like, uh, I immersed myself in the uh, Arrow editions and then also the the special edition of Spring. Uh, I read all of their... AMAs and interview text interviews. I listened to podcasts that had them on, and I tried to put together a a string of thematic questions that they hadn't been asked before. Uh, the result is unbelievably spoilery. So more than any other podcast we've ever done, I cannot say strongly enough: if you haven't seen the film, don't listen to this podcast. Go out, get a copy of the movie, which came out a couple of weeks ago. Watch the Blu-ray. Uh, ideally watch The Endless and Resolution. Also watch Spring, but mostly Resolution and Endless. And then you can come back to this. Uh, they were really, really accommodating. I asked a lot of questions they probably didn't want to answer. <laughs> uh, they were really, really friendly about it all. And um, uh, just to be clear, like uh, kind of the reason we're doing this kind of crazy spoilery um, edition of the podcast is because it's just such a perfect opportunity. Um, the Endless is one of those films where... You know, you get to the end of it and you really, you have so many questions and if only you're able to talk to the people who made it and find out, you know, what about this? What about this? We've done that for you. Yeah. So it's kind of almost like an extra feature itself um, to the disc. Yeah. So I mentioned to someone on Twitter the other day that after my remiss omission of an extra feature I promised a couple of episodes <laughs> ago that I would be delivering an episode that was about 75% extra features. Yeah, this but, is that episode. Yeah, I, but, but I, by that I'm not talking about extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. I'm talking about actual extra features. Extra, fe- extra, actual, extra features. Ah, actual extra features. Actual extra features, <laughs> extra features on extra the features. disc. This is like a, a special edition uh, edition of the podcast. So... Settle back, break out your favourite... Uh, well, Hefeweizen, actually, would be thematic. There we go. And enjoy Dan talking to the directors of The Endless. I'll jump straight in. My first question is, are the higher power and the time loops part of the same event, or is the higher power a separate entity from the time loops and merely drawn to them or utilising them? Does it exist outside of that area? That's an awesome question. Um, the uh, there's a line in the film where uh, shitty Carl says uh, that it's using space and time as its horsewhip. I think that that's uh, that's the closest that anyone ever says out loud exactly the answer to your question, right? Um, the answer is they are part of the same event. They are they're not one and the same, but it's like arms and legs. One is a tool of the other. Yeah. There's a lot of really nice um, foreshadowing, but there's a lot of sort of like red herring foreshadowing going on in the film which is really nice because it keeps you guessing all the way to the end were there other endings that you were considering that are that those false foreshadows are uh, a sort of vestigial traits of or was it always going to be that ending it's always been that ending we've been really really lucky actually throughout the the three features that we've made and that um we've been empowered to remain focused on character. Um, and it is to say, you know, the, the end of The Endless is, you know, no matter how you feel about the sort of high concept science fiction part of it, the the, the focus is, is on the, the interpersonal relationship between these two brothers. And no matter what's happening with the metaphysical loops, 
we understand that these two brothers have broken out of their interpersonal loop. Um, there is a world where if we weren't empowered to do that, it would end on like a gotcha moment. I, like, I don't uh, think there's a single film about time loops that doesn't end on like, but actually. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know it's it, the, 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 the last shot of the movie is them almost crashing into their mother's car and I don't know what else there is like it's or it's the just movie like, restarts the, the movie oh my god the movie the, literally it cuts to black and then that package hits their their doorstep again and uh, luckily we've been able to always shoot the ending we always intended and uh, and we've never had to do the thing where we had to swap it out for I guess what might be like Either like uh, like people walk away from the movie like being like oh my god I can't believe how clever they are or a stand up and cheer moment or something I don't know that's like the best hope in, in given if you if you veer away from the characters and into just the high concept sci fi thing mm. yeah luckily we, we've we've never had to do it uh, Spring our second movie actually is it's a similar scenario where that was always the ending um, actually Resolution two mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, we've never really had to just just suddenly change the ending of our movie, which is really nice. Um, but the the ending is of our, of our film are always a, a topic of discussion in every single time we've made a movie. Um, we're really proud of that. We're really proud of it. Um, is the the fact that um, we're not we're not leaving people hanging. We don't we don't want to. We just want to leave them thinking. That's all. The answers are in there for all of our movies. Like whatever, we're, we're not just saying like, "All right, what do you think?" Big question mark. Shrug your shoulders as as filmmakers. Um, we, uh, but we do like the fact that when the movie's over, there's there's just some room for go grab a beer or coffee and and uh, and discuss it with somebody that you care about. That you just that whatever you just watched. You know, that's that's part of the communal fun of cinema. Um, and that's like why our, our endings don't have like say the sci-fi gotcha moment or um, uh, yeah. There, there is one arguably substantial change that was made from the assembly cut of, of The Endless to the final cut. And it was that originally um, the movie had uh, dissolved to black and now it cuts to black and it actually probably does communicate something different to an audience member. I feel like I dissolved to black is like Definitely, here's your happy ending for sure. They're out of the loop. But when you cut to black, on on like on on a key on the score, ding, mm. and it's all of a sudden the image is gone. It 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 it's almost like you're asking the audience member to keep thinking about it. So you mentioned Shitty Cole uh, earlier. Obviously, he ties the three films together. So it's patently obvious that the first and third of your films exist in the same world. The fact that he is present in Spring means that the creature from Spring and her sort of loop, her endless loop, or almost endless loop, and the higher power that's controlling things in Resolution and Endless coexist. It feels like the tip of an iceberg of a sort of an old Great Ones kind of extended mythology where you may have other ideas for things, creatures and powers that exist in this world, or is it just those two in those two different continents? I don't want to... I don't want to... Um, say a bunch of bullshit here where, where we've got this like there's this bible of Moorhead and Benson stuff what I will say is Justin and I are seem to just be constantly attracted to the same kind of story they're, they're always you know I mean they're always wildly different from one another you could never say that Spring and, and the Endless are similar stories but um, but there's a similar sensibility about them as you mentioned and um, 
and all of our future projects, they look like that too. Even our Aleister Crowley project, Aleister Crowley totally lives in the world of the endless in a way, you know, somehow. Um, and uh, and e even if they never actually directly tie together, or if they do, um, there is there's just something there that uh, that that whether or not we ever connect the threads and the dots deliberately, where we say that shitty Carl exists over here or there. Um, there's a sensibility that might tie into something larger like a world. Um, that is, but there's no Bible for it yet. Am I, am I speak, saying this right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like Arca is probably our next closest. We have a we have a TV show we developed. That's probably our next closest thing. That's like just pretty close to this whole mythology. Yeah, you know? there was a version. We had a version of the pilot that actually had. Oh yeah, it had the, the, the UFO cult. It had the UFO cult members in it in the incarnation from, from resolution. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we just finished up, we just finished writing a pilot for a studio about, it's like a one hour drama about Aleister Crowley. And it's interesting because there's not like a literal crossover, but there are, th there are otherworldly things that he encounters within the pilot episode of the show that, that are very similar to, they're not the same, but they're very similar to, to, uh, to things that we've, we've done in our past in terms of dealing with the supernatural and the otherworldly. Um, and another thing I, th I think that where some of it comes from is uh, is, is, is I was raised atheist and, and Aaron's very much a skeptic. And I think that we are kind of oddly creating these like science fiction worlds where we're creating these extra hopefully extraordinary sci-fi things that seem within the realm of possibility to, to us. That, that kind of, but, and that also seems to indicate some kind of magic in the world simultaneously. And I think it's all sort of like wishful, wish, wishful thinking and, and sort of creating these mythologies that are outside the boundaries of, of um, you know, it's like, it, it, it's like when you're raised outside of, um, is, it, is, is Abrahamic religions the right term? Mm, yeah. When you're raised outside those and you just like observe them, it's this weird thing where it's like you want them to be true, and, but you go research them, and if you're not raised with them and you're not raised with faith and belief, you just go look at them and be like, oh, okay, well, these are stories. But, um, but then it creates this like weird desire to tell stories that are outside those that like you can like kind of get yourself to believe in as a yeah. storyteller. Actually, okay, let's tie this into what we were just talking about before we started recording because this that's really interesting. Um, and I'll, I'll zoom through it. I was reading the Wikipedia page of Aleister Crowley, started clicking on every related link. I went through John D. went through uh, the, uh, what did you call it, the Ars Gersha, the, the, the Lesakia Solomon yeah. and all of that. And, um, and, and all, you know, had a thousand tabs open and, and was just browsing through all of them. And one of the f most interesting ones I landed on was the Apocrypha. The, the, it was the Apocalypse of Paul was the first one that I read. And, uh, and it's, you know, the, basically the, the article just outlines the little differences where it talks about a literal hell or it talks about, you know, it just, just slight differences in canon between like what the Bible is and what the apocalypse of Paul is, which is a, a cut, basically a cut scene from the Bible, you know? Um, all right. And, uh, and then I, I looked into all the apocrypha and found out that there's, you know, many more Bibles worth of Bible material that just never made the cut. And, uh, and then, so we're talking about stories where it's just like, these are things that were written down um, either as, as observations or truths or whole, like yarns spun out of whole cloth, who knows, you know? And, and at a certain point, the church decided this is the real story and this is not the real story. And again, um, 
you can believe that the church was told by God what the real story was, and that's why they were how they were able to decide. Or you could you could imagine that politics came into play, or you know it happened so so many hundreds of years ago. There's no way to even know. But the fact that there's massive amounts of cutscenes from the Bible lying around talking telling other stories um, that 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 in, that inform and shape the world that we live in. Uh, or could have, or these other mythologies, and, and the world could have been this much different. And finding out that there's, you know, there's one chapter in particular. I think it might be the Apocalypse of Paul that just barely didn't make the cut. And some versions of the Bible have it, and some don't. You know, like like a, you know, like a redheaded stepchild canon of the Bible that could have wildly shaped the world. That that mythology could have completely wildly shaped the world is is pretty cool. And I know that I'm. It sounds like I just read the Da Vinci Code yesterday or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but it is really and and, and speaking of cut mythologies and and weird coincidences, we had some we, we we had a cut scene from The Endless that dealt with. If anyone listening has seen our first movie resolution, um, there's a character named Byron who speaks of losing these French researchers that he came to America with, and we had we had written this like ten page scene for The Endless that dealt with what happened to those researchers, and you see the deity operate in real time from the point of view of these researchers who have been watching it do it stuck in their loop for like probably like a century. It's a really cool scene. Yeah, like it's, so it's one perspective that we never really got to see from the endless, which is scientists, like actual scientists trying to just see what, observe this thing. But unfortunately, because they were also stuck in a loop from it, they've been gone mad. They, they've gone mad. So it's mad scientists yeah. uh, who've, who've developed a system and, and you know, it, it, it looks very much... It's like a very lo-fi version of the bunker from Lost that they've just lived out there and invented this thing. Um, really wish we didn't have to cut that scene, but I'm, I'm ultimately glad we did. The weird thing is someone sent a tweet yesterday after seeing the screen. I think it was after the BFI screening last night. Someone basically sent this tweet that was like, hey, I want, us, I, I, I want, I want you guys to, to cover what happened to the French researchers from, from Resolution. And I was like, oh, man. They, how they know? I, yeah. I, I guess that's. I, I was like, man, if they only knew. Yeah, yeah. I I love the idea of being like, so you're out here um, studying uh, God from a, uh, you know, and they're they're like a hundred years old. It's like you're studying God from a scientific perspective, and they're like, yes, we call ourselves Scientologists. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I just remembered. I just I just remembered something. The scene's really weird because um, it was it would have been really fun because uh, it's Aaron's character who comes across them when he's looking for Justin, and. Uh, Aaron's like trying to communicate them what's going on, but only one of them speaks a little bit of English, oh, and the, right. other, the other yeah. one, it's subtitled, keeps talking about murdering him. Because they've gone mad, so one of them just screaming about killing me in French, but and he doesn't I have know just it. no idea. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just remember. There's also a scene. They offer me coffee, and there's like an implication I've never had coffee before, and so I get caffeinated for the first time in my life. I think it didn't quite make sense because I was, you know, 25 years old to be like, "What's caffeine?" But, but still, it was, uh, it was a charming little sequence. That kind of moves into my next question, which is that obviously you sort of created this world, and the second and third films, to some extent, became came about because of a frustration with the financing process and that kind of thing. As you start to move on to other things, whether it's your Crowley show or you know other feature projects, if you drift away from this world, is it something that you'd allow other people? to license? Would you allow this world to extend with other artists, or is it too personal to let go of like that? I, well, it's, a, it's weird. It's like, 
is like, is there no amount of money? Uh, of course there's an amount of money. <laughs> is, yeah, of is, 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 of money. Is, there, is there a reasonable amount of money that would actually happen? Probably not. Probably not enough to make it worth it where yeah. you'd be like, oh, like, it just wouldn't. Uh, it, there's a few filmmakers where if they just, if they asked and had a really good take and stuff, you know, I'd be like, yeah, give it a shot. I mean, I'd be so honored if somebody took our mythology and, you know, if, if the, the girl from Spring turned into something as common as a vampire mythology and now there's you know nobody owns vampires everybody owns vampires um i'd be honored by it um or i would love to see somebody just give it a weird shot but it it would have to be a really good take from a really good filmmaker um i don't know i I think that that they'd be fighting a losing battle not against us but against (laughs) against, like the story and against the world you know against financial pressures yeah i i've had uh I've had really talented, sometimes well-known filmmakers um, pitch us drunkenly in bars, like oh, yeah. how, how they would do like a sequel to Resolution or something. And I, I feel like this has never happened exactly. This is probably what happened. Like it's always just like we've had some beers, was so excited. You're like, yeah, totally, that sounds awesome. That's so cool. That's so cool. And then at the any point, they were like, so can I do it? Absolutely not. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. We had a handshake deal, yes. <laughs> and then more shots. <laughs> Um, as you move to bigger projects, um, TV pilots that are obviously being commissioned by other production companies, are you able to retain the level of, uh, like, you've talked at length about how if you disagree about something, it's normally a third option that presents itself oh, yeah. that works better for you because you realise that if you disagree, then there's a problem with both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, are you given the time to go through that process with stuff you're working on, and is that something that you might worry about going forwards into bigger things where you've got above the line people who have other other priorities, be they deadline yeah. or, or whatever. Well, the, the that process is very short. I mean, we're talking, <laughs> right. the, the process is like a minutes long, you know, it's not, that's not a big issue. Um, it's, it, we can identify when we're disagreeing on something and, and uh, sometimes we'll just put a pin in and be like, okay, we haven't found the answer yet. Um, you know, let's, let's, let's move on, you know, something like that. But that's, that's, not at all something that has ever gotten in the way and in you know Dave has watched our process since forever our Dave Lawson our producer yeah. and um, who also plays smiling Dave and uh, he's uh, always uh, very very respectful of the f- and and uh, has mentioned more than a few times like it's kind of freaky how you guys just work it out it's it's not uh, it's as it's it's shorter than a disagreement between a director and a cinematographer or a director and a producer or a writer and a producer. You know, those are, ours are shorter, so it's, it doesn't really cost time. Um, going forward, uh, less to do with our own relationship and more just our, our, the relationship between the two of us and whoever our collaborators are. Um, you know, it's just like a marriage. You try to pick the right ones. Um, and, uh, and if you pick the right ones, they'll understand and, and respect the process that we have and add to it and be, and be um, um, you know, be helpful and try to support it. And one of the reasons that we have careers is that we, uh, that, that we just do things the way we do them. And, um, and I don't mean that we do them alone, but it's just that, that we have preferences and, and that sort of a thing. So, um, you know, we're not, we're probably not the right people to just like plug into any old movie as like directors for hire. But, uh, but, there's two of us. We're natural-born collaborators, clearly, because we're doing it as a career. We collaborate with each other, um, and uh, and so yeah. I mean, as as long as uh, as long as they've seen our other movies, they'll know what we're trying to do, and, and they they wouldn't sign on if they didn't if they didn't want uh, to um, 
to make something that's that's kind of like that, you know. I uh, on our podcast we often recommend films based on the movie we've the Arrow title we've watched or just things we've seen recently. Obviously, across your canon, you you touch on sci-fi, uh, sort of found footage, um, I don't, like not quite found footage, um, in resolution. Uh, cult films, anything like that. Are there any lesser-known examples of any of those that you hold particularly dear that you enjoy recommending to people? I wish I was that person who had like this like brain treasure of films people had never seen Whenever before. They, and oh man, like I, talking to Cargill or some or like Peter Kaplowski or yeah, people yeah. like that that just know every movie and they so excitedly recommend these deep cuts that are always going to become your next favorite movie. The, and I'm always just like Jurassic Park, you got to see that. Yeah. <laughs> I try to think of, I I like it when something gives me the thrill of actually being scared of something. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a really special thing. And it's, by the way, incredibly rare. Incredibly rare. Um, And I mean actually being scared. Not like, oh, they put the stinger there and then there's violence. Like, But not that. Like, actually really frightened. And I think Kill List Mm -hmm. is one that it's like, oh, that's an actual scary movie. Um, one I saw recently that I would categorize as an actual scary movie was um, a dark song. Yeah. Yeah, which which wasn't it's not that well known. Um, it should be more well known. I'd say the end of uh, the the third act of Annihilation scared the hell out of me. That that like made me kind of hold my breath um, in a, just in an existential way. And then in a much more uh, true existential way was the was um, First Reformed. Um, I've not seen that. Oh yeah, it's it it. It, it is devastatingly scary because it's about a horror in our real world um, that uh, is inescapable. Very, very frightening. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, we're mentioning all, only movies from the last five years, and I'm really sorry. That's fine. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. So can we you actually can discovered Kill List here uh, at? Or no, actually, it was in Sheffield. But uh, yeah. Okay. Can Can you give us a recommendation of an actual scary movie? Oh, it's yeah. It, as you watch more films and as you move through life, it gets harder and harder to to properly find that sense of dread. Yeah, and and by the way, there's tons of wonderful horror films over the last. But I'm talking about scary, not just horror, because horror can be so many things. But like a scary movie. Yeah, and often it's so much down to uh, down to context as well. Like mm-hmm. I, when I first watched Amityville, which I do not rate particularly highly, mm. um, but when I first watched it, it was the night before the. George Bush election in the States. I was working in America. I was sharing a room with three Americans. They'd all gone to sleep. And I was watching it on a laptop with good headphones, just in the corner of the room, the only person awake. And it was one of the scariest movie experiences I've ever had in my life. And I've revisited it a number of times. And it's, obviously, it's never going to have that same feeling. But watching it with a sort of the immersive 4D of people moving around behind you in their sleep as well added yeah. really well to that. I'll give you a few. Actually, I just realized there's a few documentaries that are genuinely scary. Oh, the yeah. one about those two, that old documentary from here, actually, about the yeah. two twins who yeah. stalked that guy and they complete each other's sentences and they wear those. Do you know what we're talking about? I Do you don't. have any idea? No. It's this really obscure documentary. It's from the UK. Uh-huh. And it's about these, um, these two twin women. They're probably in their 60s or 70s. And they've been basically living as hermits mostly their lives, most of their lives. And they become obsessed with this guy who's like their next door neighbor. And it's that's like what the documentary is about. Or something like that. Oh, so and they're, like, they're so identical twins and they complete each other's sentences uh, so that they, they talk, when they talk, they start a sentence and the other one's watching them and they, they in the middle of the sentence, the other one will start saying the rest of the sentence 
and it's very unnerving and kind of like uh, like chalkboard uh, nails on a chalkboard kind of thing. And uh, there's there's a there's a famous YouTube video of some two Australian young younger women that have the same thing, but this documentary is from like the 70s and it is just freaky. It's like a real life version of what Hollywood thinks scary twins are like. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, Actually, and they totally are, you know. And of course, you know, there's there's a lot of developmental issues. There's there's mental illness for sure. It's psychosexual issues. Um, so it's it's uh, it's not just there's there's a human there's a horror of humanity in it as well. But um, but there's also just just something about um, you know the idea of these these two this hive mind living in isolation. Yeah, great great gardens is pretty creepy. Great gardens is creepy. It's like it's yeah, a weird yeah. nightmare because it's like it's like they're living in their own dream state and suspended like mm-hmm. suspended time mm-hmm. and what else? Oh, you know, um, actually, I'll give a little background on this before I before I mention it, but. Um, you know, I was I had just like the most vanilla upbringing, just a wonderful childhood. You know, <laughs> like like middle class parents. Parents are still together, love each other, sister. You know, all this nice stuff. Coast of Florida, and um, and so you know, I've I basically have been raised with this idea that people are basically good, and and the bad things that people do are because of um, trauma or but they're not just bad people or something like that, and. Um, and a movie that really, really challenges that idea for me was the act of killing. The act oh. of killing, it is very difficult to look at, to watch that movie and not think, man, is that, that's just badness. That's just badness. But then, weirdly enough, that movie even tries to attempt some form of emotional, moral, re- not redemption, but at least reflection uh, by the end of it. And so that that view gets challenged yet again, where you're watching this movie in horror, thinking, "How can people be so evil?" And by the end of it, they actually, you, or at least one of them, you you get the opinion that maybe, maybe they've finally seen for the first time that like it's just through a, their own darkness. Yeah, a glimmer of self self awareness, all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's an amazing movie, though. I thought of one more scary movie. Yes, an actual scary movie, The Witch. Yeah, the oh, recent years, an actual scary movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful um, Waking Fright's pretty frightening. That, mm-hmm. that one gets to you in a, in a purgatorial way that has no supernatural element. Picnic at Hanging Rock. Picnic at Hanging Rock is I, good. I wondered if there were yeah. the uh, the nature close-ups in Endless. I wondered if that was a, yeah. a, a funneling of Picnic it, it at wasn't, Hanging Rock. It's not kind of deliberate. I kind of forgot that Picnic at Hanging Rock had them, but I'm, I'm absolutely sure that... I, I think we saw Picnic at Hanging Rock before we made Spring, and that has a lot of nature close-ups. And I'll, I'll yeah. bet that... To be honest, I, we never had that conversation, but I'll bet that that's where we get it from, for sure. Um, what else? The Exorcist is obviously... Obviously, it's an actual scary movie. movie. That's, you know, that's, you can't even... You know what's weirdly frightening, or I guess just tense, but uh, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't just call any movie that, that makes me feel excited a, a horror movie. <laughs> oh, Pirates, <laughs> Pirates 5? <laughs> uh, I was going to say Sorcerer, but, uh, which is another oh, yeah. movie. But I, I, I can't call it a horror movie. I just think it's suspenseful. You know, um, uh, Ben, who did Oh, no, wait, no. ...has been hard to write a... A re-adaptation of the novel that Sorcerer is based on. That's yeah. a stressful job. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that is. Um, have you, you've seen um, Wages of Fear, the first version no. of that. No. Oh, that is one of. It's not a horror movie, but like it's the same source material as Sorcerer, but it's one of the tensest films. T- to the extent that Criterion have put a lovely Blu-ray of it out in the states. There's a um, uh, the, the poster says something along the lines of the entire audience holds their breath, afraid the very screen may explode. 
Uh, it was banned in the States for being anti-American, anti-big anti oil. Uh, um. It took years to come out, but it's absolutely amazing. I mean, that's geez, God I, forbid we watch an anti-big oil movie. <laughs> like, yeah, get, I, the, get that out of here. I, I, I'm, I'm like... I think I think Ben Wheatley is one of the best we've got, and I'm I'm like intimidated by the idea. Like you just said, Ben Wheatley is doing a version of Sorcerer, and I'm like, oh no, oh no. Like I'm stressed. I'm stressed out thinking about it, and I and I I I yeah. That that sounds insanely good, and 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 way too stressful to watch. Um, thank you so much, and um, I hope you have an amazing time on the rest of your tour. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for talking Thanks to so us. Well, that was magnificent. Well done, Dan. Thank you very much, Sam. Yeah, very sincere. <laughs> I, you, you, me or you? Which one of us? Well, which one of us are you slagging off there? Neither of us. I'm making a, a joke based on the fact that you know I haven't heard this interview yet, but I'm sure it is. We're very polite about you. Yes. Oh, good. Thank God. Thank God. Um, I'm still bitter that I wasn't able to be there. Yeah, Sam did really want to be there. We just couldn't make it work. Yeah, but um, I'm really excited to listen to this episode of the podcast and find out what was said. Now, we are now going to do recommendations based on the endless aren't we so i'm gonna go first because you've been talking for about half an hour yeah i mean that's fine mate yeah yeah whatever <laughs> so i it's gonna be an easy one to start with i'm gonna recommend resolution purely because even before all of this business like i i had no idea that resolution was ever going to be released on blu-ray in this country i saw it when it was first out uh, on dvd and you know watched it very late at night actually um with dan um, and with uh, Jen, his wife. And I think maybe, I think we put it on like as late as two o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous like that. Um, and that kind of helped my enjoyment of it, I think. It's kind yeah, of, I see that. it's kind of, you know, a very, it adds an extra layer to the trippiness of the film, which, you know, gets very trippy at certain points. It is a film about filmmaking, more so even than The Endless, which I do think has qualities of that as yeah. well. And yeah, it is just, you know, you'll know this if you've already bought the Endless Disc, um, that, that it's on there. If you haven't watched it yet, um, it is absolutely... Yeah, Resolution is a found footage movie where the footage hasn't been found. Yes, that's, that's very good, Dan. Um, so yes, Resolution, I can't recommend it highly enough. And, you know, maybe watch it at two o'clock in the morning, you never know. Yeah. It might add something to it. Dan, what have you got? So I, my first recommendation is uh, a film by Jim Van Beber. Uh, yes. who did Deadbeat at Dawn, which some of you may be familiar with. It's the film he did after Deadbeat, uh, and it's called Charlie's Family. It's, uh, it's one of those movies where there's different versions of it floating around. I think I've got an early, like a pre-cut, which I adore. I think it may have even been retitled on its final release. Um, but in it, Jim Van Beber plays Charles Manson. Uh, this is particularly timely, given Tarantino's upcoming Manson picture, I guess. But um, yeah, it's really worth checking out. It's about uh, some people making a documentary about Charles Manson. So it's got a very Cannibal Holocaust kind of found footage feel to it as well, which links it sort of across to resolution as well. Uh, and they have to interact with the kind of people that in a, in a latter-day situation still have this sort of weird idolisation of Charles Manson. Uh, it's an uncomfortable movie. It features a lot of recreated footage of the short films that Charlie's family, the, the actual group who self-identified as Charlie's family, uh, made out in the deserts. But it's a, yeah, it's a fantastic movie and definitely worth checking out. It's probably my, probably my favourite cult movie. Like oh. a movie about a cult, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I'm great. My favourite movie about a cult. 
Nice. My second recommendation is a film called Good Favour, um, which I'm not actually sure is available as yet. I saw it at the Glasgow Film Festival earlier this year, so I don't actually know if it's had a release in this country yet. I don't think so. I haven't seen it around. Um, but it's directed by Rebecca Daly, who uh, just has a, a really kind of sharp eye for mixing sort of almost documentary-esque stuff with uh, a sense of magical realism and the reason it kind of works with the endless is it's about uh, a sort of a, a stranger an immigrant who stumbles across um, a kind of strange village uh, which is uh, packed with devout catholics um, but they kind of take their faith to a slight extreme and it gives it a really kind of weird atmosphere that's that's similar to the the cult stuff in the endless and it also has some um you know weird sort of super powered elements to it um that i won't spoil uh but kind of puts it next to the endless in terms of uh that sense of you know there's something weird science fiction is yeah, going yeah. on as well so good favor really cool performances beautifully shot some stunning shots in it actually um so who knows when it will be out but when it is Watch it in a double bill with The Endless. Good favour. Right, Dan. Nice. Yeah, my next one, it was a shortlist for my uh, Fry Fest recommendations, actually, last last time, from 2008. Uh, it's Nacho Vigalondo's Time Crimes. Oh, yeah. Which is a Spanish uh, time travel movie, but uh, does it in a really interesting way. It's, uh, while Endless isn't uh, a time travel movie, per se, it does play around with the idea of... Uh, of of repetition and, and time sort of feeding back into itself. And, uh, actually, fuck, we can be super spoilery by now. We're right at the end of the thing. We've just told everyone they can't listen past the beginning if yeah. they haven't. Yeah. So, obviously, as you all know now, having seen uh, The Endless, uh, it involves time loops. Uh, and Time Crimes by Nacho Vigalondo is a beautiful fractured narrative. Uh, it's one of the more complex time travel movies but they've done a really good job of making sure it actually works it actually makes sense which is nice unlike about time where i just shouted stop doing time travel wrong endlessly at the screen <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's um it's a it's a murder mystery that br uh, follows one character through a fractured time narrative there is also a fan edit uh floating around where someone has recut the film into chronological sequence which is actually much less helpful mm, than you yeah. might expect yeah well but they generally are those yeah, things but it's an interesting well because otherwise that's what the director would have done in the first place exactly yeah but, but it's a it's an interesting side thing yeah um this the 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 re-edit feels more like le jeté than <laughs> than time crimes yeah no i bet but yeah well well worth um well worth tracking down grand right time to move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks i'm gonna go first with smash palace from 19 1982, directed by Roger Donaldson. Now, this is available on Arrow. Um, it's one of sort of the, my favourite sort of gems. Arrows released in a while. Um, I loved every single second of this one. Um, it's about a couple, a married couple, um, who go through a divorce and and they've got a child together. And so you kind of see them sort of having troubles, and then they break up, and then the father makes a fairly disastrous decision um in order to try and sort of bring the family back together again and it kind of escalates and and turns into sort of one of the best dramas i've seen in a long time um i absolutely love smash palace uh, i can't recommend it more yeah just a magnificent film and it's on arrow so dan what do you have 
for us from the past uh, couple of weeks. So uh, the first of the two, I guess, is going to be a film called Calibre, uh, which went straight to, I don't know if it's gone straight to or it will go straight to. It's um, on Netflix now. Netflix, yeah. Is it on already? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, a mutual friend of mine and Sam's, Josh Seiko, who runs Cigarette Burns, uh, gave me a call and said, a friend of mine directed a feature. It's a cast and crew screening. Would you like to come along? Uh, I got to turn up uh, and see it. Uh, it's Calibre, directed by Matt Palmer. It is an absolute stonker of a thriller. It's really good. I, I suspect Matt is going to be wooed into much bigger and arguably greener pastures. But it's a really nice rural British thriller. It, it feels like it might go one way and then it goes another way. It's pretty unrelenting in its tone. But it's essentially about uh, a couple of friends who make a really big fucking mistake with a bunch of rather angry locals it doesn't quite go to um deliverance depths but it feels it's got a bit of southern comfort shouldn't say feel. too much more than no that i don't want to say much more yeah, than that. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen it uh yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah it's well 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 worth looking at it's, it's really nice and it's um it is one of those ones where it's it's quite gentle in its pace but it's very tense in its tone mm. uh and i absolutely loved it it was an amazing mm. watch yeah, and our friend Jen Moss did the music supervision. Did you know that? I did indeed. She was yeah. there at the screening. Oh, cool. Oh, excellent. And it won the, the Audience Award at Edinburgh. So, oh, did it? Um, yeah. Oh, so. well, well done to it. Deservedly so. so. It was yeah. fantastic. He, yeah, he really is going to go on to big things. Right, my next recommendation, my final recommendation from the past couple of weeks is a film from 1949 called The Queen of Spades. Now, this is kind of... It's, it's got almost Russian horror feel to it. Um, it's about a, a countess who's made a, a bargain with the devil uh, in order to be able to win at cards and it kind of the, the sort of protagonist a very dark protagonist is an army officer who um, loves to gamble and sets out to uh, take the power to win at cards from the countess uh, with disastrous results um, it is a, a beautiful beautiful like wonderfully paced movie magnificent performances and some genuinely chilling, creepy moments that I'm surprised that more people haven't ripped off. There's sort of one element to it that you'll kind of know it when you see it, which is just one sequence is really, really memorable, and I'm surprised more people haven't done what they did in it. So, yeah, The Queen of Spades from 1949. It is a masterpiece. Nice. It's a strong, strong week. It. Strong week. That's no, good, yeah, we're doing well. Yeah. My next one is a 1947 film from Delma Daves, uh, a friend of mine, a fellow special effects artist, Rod Hamlin, who comes and works on stuff with me occasionally, and who has a very similar taste to me, uh, asked me if I had a copy of it. I didn't, but on his sort of uh, interest in it, I took it upon myself to track a copy down. Uh, it's called The Red House. It's an Edward G. Robinson sort of early noir. It is... An absolute beauty. Mm. The first act uh, plays like a horror film. It's got some really beautiful horror sensibilities. There's a shot, uh, a long shot on Robinson's face right near the end that is just spellbinding. And actually just before that, there's a lighting change on his face. Oh my goodness. It's just so beautifully directed. Mm. It's, a, it's a really great film. It, it, you know, it plays into a lot of the sort of parochial rural America stuff of that era. Mm -hmm. um, but it deals with a lot of stuff that given that it's like, you know four or five years, maybe three or four years into the Hayes era of film, so like quite a strict censorship in America. It deals with a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have expected a film to, to 
deal with and maybe that's why it's not as well known mm. but it's a really fantastic thriller a rural thriller so it, it goes well with Calibre that's great and uh, I feel like this has been a very very strong uh, episode so far and now it's going to get even stronger with Extra Features Extra features? Extra features. Extra features? Only bloody extra features. Wow. So, this week, uh, you, you may remember from a fortnight ago, we did a whole bunch of Fright Fest recommendations. And this week, we have one of the uh, co-founders of uh, the Arrow Video a Fright Fest. Father. A founding father. Who, yet again... Dan did the bloody interview. <laughs> um, so yeah, Dan spoke to Paul McAvoy about the Arrow Video Fright Fest, got some recommendations, and uh, you can listen to that right now. So I'm joined now by Paul McAvoy, one of the founding fathers. Is that fair? Yes, yeah, it was my crazy idea for this thing Video 20 podcast. years ago, although it's our 19th year now, isn't it? So. Wow. I think my first was the second year. Prince Charles. Yeah, Prince Charles. What was your first film? Uh, I don't know. I've still, I can't remember what was the order was. Old Boy or Switchblade? Or was it? I was there for, well, maybe I was there for the first year. What year I, was Battle Royale? Oh, that, that's a question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Either the first or second. Yeah, I've still got a Battle Royale energy drink unopened. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and umbrellas. We had Battle Royale umbrellas as well that we gave I have away. One of those as well. Yeah. <laughs> So, for the small percentage of our listeners who don't know what Frightfest is, do you want to give us a, a potted history? Yeah, sure. Frightfest is the UK's largest horror, science fiction, fantasy and thriller film festival. Our main event every year takes place uh, in Leicester Square. So this year we're at the Empire Cinema, or the Cineworld Cinema. We're running three screens there, plus two screens at the Prince Charles. So it's five days, 70 features all of which are UK World European premieres, and thir- about 30 shorts, although Sheila at the moment is working through the hundreds of short film oh, submissions to find the best 30. So around about 100 um, films, plus special events and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's a monster. The, the August one is the biggest one that we do. We do a smaller Halloween-based gig in London, which is about five or six movies over one day. And then we do Glasgow in February, March, as part of the Glasgow Film Festival, which is about 15 films. Nice. And how long have Arrow been on board? Well, Arrow have been a sponsor or a co-sponsor for a few years now. I don't know the exact amount of time that they've been involved, but this is the first year that they're the headline sponsor. Hence the, the name to Hence the Arrow Video Fight Fest, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so what? How long? How far in advance do you start programming? Is it literally the day after the last? Yes, actually, we're already thinking about next year's. <laughs> <laughs> There's already titles floating and plans because next year obviously will be our twentieth year. Yeah. So that's gonna God. But this, let's get this year out of the way first, and uh, we've yeah we've got so many good things to show this year. Right. So obviously by the time this broadcasts, mm-hmm. the uh, the announcements will have gone up. So yep. in so we don't have to worry about leaks. <laughs> what are you? What do you think is going to particularly grab audiences? this year well obviously out of the 70 so many they're all like children everybody every year people say oh what's your favorites what are your favorites and it's very difficult to pick but i will because <laughs> otherwise otherwise we'll be here for another two hours <laughs> with me going through oh well that one's great because and and also i think um my personal favorites will probably be different to greg's to diff, different to ian ian ratray and greg day and alan jones who i are, are the co-directors Indeed. at the festival and like with us we all we all like different things don't we so yeah, just to depends upon your personal taste. However, my personal taste, I, don't know, I think, let's start with the opening film. Okay. Which is a cracker, which leads to one of the themes 
of this year. Not that we particularly choose films by themes, but the opening film is The Ranger, which is directed by Jen Wexler. And it's a terrific stalk and slash slasher movie with punk rock sensibilities, etc., etc. So we're delighted to have, and it's a Larry Fessenden production. So what it's signalling the change of is the female-directed genre films, which is incredibly important. We always look at every film that comes in without thinking about gender. But this year especially, there's a whole bunch which are directed by strong female directors. Um, so, for example, last year we had Imitation Girl and Freddie Eddie. The year before we had Love Witch. This year we open with The Ranger, which is a really powerful opener. Then the second movie of the night is uh, co-directed by the RKSS bunch, who, if you remember, we premiered Turbo Kid by them. So that includes Anouk Bissell uh, from Canada. Yeah. So they're coming in with Summer of 84, which is fantastic. And, of course, we've got Issa Lopez's uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid, which we UK premiered in Glasgow. But, A, a lot of people couldn't get up there because the, the snowstorms were so bad. Yeah. And, B, the film is a masterpiece. I remember you like gushing a, about it at a party, a total like a week masterpiece. ahead of it. So playing. that is just wonderful. And then there's um, another new one, which we've got the European premiere of, called Braid, B-R-A-I-D, uh, by a brand new talent. So that's really, really good. Ah, and another couple uh, female-directed are The Devil's Doorway, which is by Aisling, um Clark, which is a found footage but with a massive spin, um, shot on 16mm. Wow. And I actually gave you a little preview yes. of that. Yes, round yeah. Your House the other week, we, so we watched that on the big screen, Round Yours, and it's a terrific um, movie by a, by a new talent. And, yeah, the 16mm really, really works. There's some great scares in it. The other one that's not solely directed by um, women, but there's a whole bunch of female-directed pieces within it, is Field Guide to Evil, which, oh, which is, is sort of fabulous. So, I mean, you've got Jeanne Vernal and you've yeah. got Peter Strickland, but you've also got the directors of The Lure and stuff like that. So that's one of the key strands this year. The other key strand is the emergence of the South American genre. So, of course, in addition to Tigers Are Not Afraid, you've got... Atarados, which is terrified, which is amazing and terrifying. And then you've got Lucifer, Luciferina, which is also really, really good from South America. Um, Crystal Eyes. And there's a documentary about the Latin uh, genre scene as well. So, yes, that, that seems to be the key things. One of my absolute favourites, amongst many, is a New Zealand movie called um, Mega Time Squad. Oh, yes. Which is probably the most amount of swearing um, <laughs> I've ever heard in a film, but genuinely laugh-out-loud hilarious and quotable. And I can't wait to re-watch that with the massive audience because yes. I think people are really going to get a kick out of that. And again, we watched, <laughs> we, we watched it around yours yeah, in a week. Yeah, that's great. That's going to be an absolute killer, I think, on the... Yeah, on the for the crowd, and oh God, as I say, literally, I could be here for another hour talking about all the stuff that I love. But um, we've also got uh, the world premiere of a movie called Hell Is Where the Home Is, which has got Faruza Bolk in it, and it's directed by a brand a newcomer called Orson Oblovitz, whose previous movie, which is also great, and we're not showing it, but you should try and seek that out as well, is a film called um, The Queen of Hollywood Boulevard. But his brand new one. Is and I'm, no spoilers, but it's ultra gory and it's going to be a massive crowd pleaser. So don't and miss what was that, that one. one. Called? Hell is where the home is. 
That's awesome. <laughs> so that kind of that recommendation leads me on to my next question, which is if people want to get into the Fright Fest spirit mm. ahead of the festival, maybe do a bit of homework. Have you got any uh, movies from past festivals that you think maybe people missed or might have missed that you'd recommend? Or previous films by directors you've got coming here? Or even just thematically linked stuff that mm. people could use to get in the mood for... Get in the mood. This year? Um, that's actually quite a hard question because I could probably name the greatest 10 or 12 or 15 films that we've ever shown, which would give you an example of the breadth of the stuff that we've shown. So, for example, everything from Donnie Darko to Let the Right One In to Old Boy to Martyrs to Switchblade Romance to Pan's Labyrinth to Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. These are just some that trip off my... Out of my head, and were these all these UK were all premieres and premieres. and stuff at, at Fright wow. Fest previous? So, which that's pretty much a, a who's what or what's what of the best genre pictures yeah, of the last really God knows how many years. And of course, <laughs> the, the Babadook and Alintiria, which is another one of my absolute favourites, yeah. which I remember showing at five a.m. one night, so good. In, <laughs> the audience came out literally shell shocked, going, "What?" the hell was that that's a beauty that's one i think could really do with a nice blu-ray yeah the, all the prints out there are really dark yep but what i, I one of the things i always liken fright fest 2 especially now is now that we're running five screens with five very different films showing at any one time make your choices wisely read the brochure watch the trailers look at the posters you know if you like vampires or dislike vampires go and see X film, if you like zombies. Although there's not actually many zombies this year. This seems to be more of the year of the slasher. We're I think drifting the slasher away seems from to zombies, be. are we in? Yeah, I th I'm sure there is one or two zombie films, but I'd, I can't remember them. Off, off. It's interesting how Actually, One Cut of the Dead, goes. which is brilliant. There's a film called One Cut of the Dead, which is a Japanese um, zombie picture. And it's brilliant. Um, the first half of the movie, the first 42 minutes, is a single take. Hence um, One Cut. Hence, one cut the dead, and then you think, ah, okay, it's like that. And then, forty-two minutes in, it turns to the, it turns into the most brilliant drama, come comedy about the making of that forty-two minutes, and it's just brilliantly done. It's amazing. only played in one or two festivals so far, but it's won a couple of major awards already. But that's another great one to look out for. Any more uh, recommendations? Anything you, you want to give a shout out to? Well, I think the one with the best title, one of the best titles we've ever, we've ever had, just as a title, but I love the movie, is um, The Man Who Killed... I'm trying to get it right. Yes, so um, The Man Who Killed the Hitler... The and then the Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, who man, the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. <laughs> um, which is Sam Elliott uh, in a great role. Um, Lucky McKee, I think, was uh, one of the producers on it or co-wrote it or something as well. And Aidan Turner is in it as well. You know, the, the handsome hero from BBC's Dark. Oh, yes. So it, it's really great. And the poster art is, is wonderful. I saw the poster the other well. day. That's beautiful, yeah. Yep, and of course we've got Pascal Logier. We just mentioned Martyrs. Uh, Pascal Logier's new picture, which is Great Incident in a Ghost Land. Very exciting. Which is uh, a French-Canadian co-production shot in English. Yeah, that's going to bowl people over. It looks as though Pascal is going to be attending as well. We haven't announced all the guests yet, so that's coming. Because obviously... As you can imagine, that's like a very movable feast where people say, yeah, we want to come, and then they get work. And Yeah, but it, the guest list is going to be enormous. But Pascal, I think, is is due to be attending. Very exciting. Um, we've got Matthew Holness's um, uh, debut feature as well, Possum. Yes. Which is uh, a dark Matthew. and disturbing... 
Eraser Head-esque style, which is great. Awesome stuff. Tell me a little bit about the closing film and the excitement about that. The Disco Inferno movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> Gaspar Noé's uh, climax. Very exciting. And so it's the perfect, um, what's the word? Is it is it climax? Is it, yeah, because yeah. it's our closing film. I know I was I, I was teasing you. <laughs> yeah, so it's the, so it's the perfect climax to the event, and it's a dark descent into the disco inferno, and the, the tunes just never stop. I mean, it opens with Sarone, and you've got Soft Cell in there, and Daft Punk, and Aphex Twin, but it's really dark, really disturbing, and it's the perfect, perfect closer. And of course, Arrow have just recently picked up the rights to it, so it's the perfect closer, closure for the Arrow Fright Fest. That's very, very exciting. Thank you so much, Paul. I cannot wait to attend. I look forward to seeing you there. You'll be doing your podcast, I think. Yes, you? I think we're going to the be the Arrow podcast with, with Sam. Representing Arrow. Um, and of course, we'll be showing um, uh, his, his director, Sam's director, directorial debut. Yes, indeed. So yeah, Sam's going to be playing uh, playing his first Fright Fest. He's been at so many as a as a punter. He was, a, yeah. he was in the audience as a director once before with his short film, Hell's Garden. And uh, now he's coming back with his feature film, which is very exciting. One of the exciting things about Fright Fest, as as you know, is whether people are bought into the whole weekend pass or whether people just come for one day or just one film. It is, the films are massively, massively important. But the most important thing for us and for the fans is the community and the friendships that people make when they're there. So the films are, of course, incredibly important. But people, if they come along, if you come along, you're going to get to hang out with the directors, with the stars, with the producers, with the writers, with the makeup effects people, with the musicians, with the editors. Everybody's in one big boat together, watching movies, going to the pub, doing the karaoke, doing the film quiz. So it's just, it's a massive scene. And that's what I can't stress enough. So films are great and obviously massively important, but the whole atmosphere and the Fright Fest family is of paramount importance. It is always such a lovely atmosphere. Um, I can't wait to see you there. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, sir. Cheers, Dan. Excellent. See, there you go. I said I'd have it for you a month ago. It's only 31 days late. Yeah. You're that, fine. Yeah. You're fine, mate. You're welcome. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, And it was worth waiting for. So that is it uh, from us for another episode of the Arrow Video Podcast. What are we doing next time? The addiction? No. The addiction? Doing, no, no, no. No, we can do the addiction. We're not doing the, doing addiction. the addiction. We don't. Oh, Raising Cane. Right, are we doing Raising Cane? Are We've we had a bit, bit of feed, bit of kickback on. I think I think Cane should be a back pocket as well. well what we, we don't have know? a one. Well, we don't have to say. We can just say on Twitter. So, yeah, follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Sam Ashurst, S A M A S H U R S T. Um, Dan is. At 13FingerFX. Uh, that is as you might expect, like a couple of guesses in. And one of us or both of us will let you know uh, what we're doing next time when we've decided what we're doing next time. Um, I would also like to encourage you to rate us and reviewers on iTunes. I feel like I haven't done that for ages. Sam hates it. He thinks it's begging. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, those of you who have uh, reviewed us on iTunes, thank you very much. Go and edit them a little bit. That'll bump us up. Uh, those of you who haven't, what are you even thinking? This is not. This costs you nothing. <laughs> five minutes, one minute of your time. Five stars. Come on. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Yes, thank you, and <laughs> thank you so much for listening. And we promise we'll be more professional next oh, time. Oh yes, definitely, one hundred percent. Bye bye. Bye.